So, on the one hand, it sounds really nice and noble when Jesus says, don't trust people who show off with long prayers. But on the other hand, if God did not intend us to show off, then why did he give us Instagram? I'm going to take a moment. I apologize. Some of y'all, this is going to be kind of familiar, redundant, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. For anyone who's not aware, Instagram is an app. It's a computer program, except you carry it around on your phone. You use it to look at pictures. You just tell it whose pictures you would like to see. And then, boom, there are pictures. Everybody, we got that now? Everybody got it? Now that we're all on the, the same page, you can turn to your neighbor and tell them, I knew that already. And you can feel very superior. Because you are a superior person, you will also know that Instagram is where all the young people went when their parents and grandparents joined Facebook and started filling it with the latest from Mad World News Online. Instagram is the world's happy place. It's where we go to find inspirational quotes and sentimental moments and aspirational still-life photos of people's toes on beaches. And of course, Instagram is just like any photo album, even those from 100 years ago, even those that you may remember with the, the plastic sleeves where we tuck the photos in. It is a tool for showing off in the classiest way possible. Don't twist my words. I don't mean that it is wrong to share your happy moments. Not at all. I'm just saying what everybody here already knows, that sharing our lives is tricky, and that there is a fine line between sharing your happiness and flaunting it. And we all know someone who jumps way over that line. It's not that different, perhaps, from sharing our faith. Because Jesus instructs us to be a light in the darkness, a city lifted up on a hill, to live lives that so shine that when others see our good deeds, they may praise our Father in heaven. I want to be a witness. For Jesus and for his kingdom. And I'll also admit that sharing on social media comes a little less naturally to me than, than it does to some. I've got an Instagram account. I've had it for about uh, eight years. In that time, I've posted 27 pictures. So you can do the math. About, you know, fewer than, uh, than four a year. I just kind of forget about it uh, I don't know what's going on. I, I just forget about it for months at a time. But it was about three months ago, or three years ago, rather, that I woke up early one morning and pulled out my Bible and my prayer book that was guiding my devotional time and my, prayer, my Bible reading at the time. And I thought to myself, you know, today I'm going to do it. Today I'm going to share whatever it is that God has to say to me in this time. The world is so full of crummy voices I'm going to take a little extra time to share a Bible verse from whatever I read, whatever insight God might give me so that others can be blessed by it too. And I opened my devotional for the day, and I kid you not, the reading was Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is present in the secret place. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Thanks, God. Message received. Of course, the temptation to show off is a very old temptation. The only temptation that is as old is the temptation we have to believe what people show off. We want to believe the things that seem too good to be true. 
And that's one of the things that 2,000 years worth of distance has made difficult for us when we read the Bible today. When we read a passage like what we have just heard, we are incapable of seeing the scribes and the Pharisees in the same way that the people of their own day saw them. I don't know how much you knew about Christianity or the church when you walked in this morning. We may have some guests with us who have only the fuzziest idea of what we do here or what being a Christian means. But I bet even the least informed person here knows that when Christians tell stories, Jesus is the hero. And if you stick around very long enough for us to tell you some stories of Jesus, it won't take you long to realize that there are about a bajillion stories. That's the technical term in the scriptures. Wherein the Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus with some sort of rude question or challenge or test. Just in this one passage from Mark 12, there are five different instances where the scribes and the Pharisees come to challenge Jesus before he speaks to the crowd. And you can probably follow this logic puzzle. Jesus is the good guy. The scribes and the Pharisees confront Jesus, therefore they're the bad guys. Seems pretty obvious. Except that in Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees weren't just considered to be good guys. They were the best. They were the most educated, the most self-disciplined. They were the most faithful religious leaders in all Jerusalem. And they were respected and they were revered. They were the sorts of folks about whom other people said, you know, I don't always agree with Caiaphas, but I'll say this for him. He practices what he preaches. They were impressive. They were influencers. They were respectable. And then Jesus comes along and says, you are devouring people's lives. You are walking around trying to get the respect of everyone who looks at you. The scribes were so busy walking around trying to be seen. But they couldn't see that God was with them. They were poking questions at him, trying to trip him up. They couldn't see who he was. In a world that is desperate for attention, they didn't realize that God was giving them his attention. God was watching you before you ever looked for him. And he will not turn his face away. And the good news is not that God looks at us through rose-colored glasses. It is not that God only sees the best in us. The good news is that God, the creator of the cosmos, looks at us and will not turn away. That he regards us, honors us with his attention. It's outrageous, frankly. Can you fathom the respect and the honor that God shows us just by paying attention? The word of life is listening to you. Now when Jesus looks at us, there is no filter When he hears our prayers, there is no filter. When you pray, if you have the very best words, 
Or if you stutter, just to say, hey, um, God, Jesus hears what you meant to say. And he also hears what you didn't even realize you were saying. I have a friend named Chad. Chad has seen some things. Chad has done some things. Chad has suffered very publicly for some of the things he has done. And so he speaks from experience. When he told me a few weeks ago that, quote, as a recovering addict and as a person who has sat with countless addicts and abusers over the year, most of the time, the louder and more angry the denial of something we are accused of, the more likely the accusation has merit. Sometimes the pose we puts on, put on ourselves says much more than the actual words coming out of our mouth. And we have all different sorts of poses that we will put up to try and maintain our good image. Some of us do it by going loud and angry and defensive. Some of us put up a stony face of silence. And some of us do just enough to seem relatable but never truly vulnerable. The writer Laura Turner says that this is what we call curated imperfection. And you can recognize it on Instagram or Facebook or even in a magazine. Whenever a celebrity or an influencer shows you a photo of their house and it is a wreck. It is a total disaster. But the lighting is curiously perfect. And the real message they convey is even our mistakes are prettier than yours. This is very different from the picture that we find in the scriptures and very different from the prayers that we find in the scriptures. When I look at the public prayers that are offered in the Bible, I find there are some things there that we tend to filter out of our own prayers. And one of those is lament. Jesus once told of two men who were praying in the temple. One of them was a legal teacher, a Pharisee, who began by praying to God. And he said, I thank you, God, for all the ways you've blessed me. I thank you that I am not like the rest of those men, extortioners, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector standing next to me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, Jesus said, was standing far away and would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said one of them went away finding peace with God that day. The largest single category in the prayer book that we call the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. They outnumber any other kind of psalm in the book. These are the prayers that begin with phrases like, out of the depths I cry to you. They shout at God and they say, answer me, how long will you let my glory be turned to shame? The Bible even has an entire book of lamentations. But according to the CCLI, do you know how many of the top 100 worship songs used in contemporary churches last week were songs of lament? If I'm generous, there were three. Don't think you're better off because we tend to sing out of hymnals. The lament section in the United Methodist hymnal is pretty thin, too. The prayers of lament in the Bible are bold, and they are public. 
And they don't try to put everything in the best possible light. Instead, they try to shine a light on the things that we'd rather not admit about ourselves or about the world around us. And if we only focus on the loudest, the prettiest, the most visible and most relatable examples around us, the most faithful will often go unnoticed. You may or may not have noticed that I cut the gospel reading a little short today. If you were following along in your own Bible, which I encourage you always to do, you realized we left off the last three verses printed there in your bulletin. There's more to this story. And it's not for nothing that after these moments with the scribes, Jesus went to the temple. And when he got there, Mark tells us in the next few verses that, quote, Jesus sat across from the collection box of the temple treasury and he observed how the crowd gave their money. And many rich people were throwing in lots of money. And one poor widow came forward and put in two small copper coins worth only a penny. Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I assure you that this poor widow has put in more than everyone who has put their money in the treasury. All of them are giving out of their spare change. But she, from her hopeless poverty, has given everything she had, even what she had to live on. On the one hand, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he called the scribes those who are the devourers of widows' homes. The religious elites and influencers had created such a toxic culture around money that this poor woman felt compelled to give her very last coins just to keep up or do her duty or satisfy someone else's expectations of her. And no one even noticed. Had the temple been operating as it should, she would have been cared for and honored far more highly than whoever it was that prayed the longest prayers. But on the other hand, while everyone else got the attention and respect of the passers-by, the widow had the attention and respect of God. Jesus himself looks at her and says, she has done more than anybody else. Give me the respect of Jesus. And let me not worry about anyone else's. Let me have the honor of my Savior and let that be enough. Those same psalmists who teach us to lament also teach us how to marvel when they say, when I look up at your skies, at the work your fingers have made, at the moon and the stars that you set firmly into place, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? You have made them only slightly less than divine crowning them with glory and grandeur. We are afraid that if we bear witness to our own frailties, if we show ourselves in anything but the best light, that we will somehow lose something, respect or confidence or self-esteem. But instead, we might discover that God can raise us up and crown us with glory and grandeur. 
We spend so much of our time trying to earn the respect of the world or even other Christians. Because we forget that God has already given us more honor and respect than we could ever understand. We are afraid to be honest about who we are or what's going on around us because we lack the confidence that comes from knowing that God has seen it already, that we stand in the fullness of his glory and we are not consumed. He turns his face towards us, regards us with holy attention. He sees it all and none of it makes him want to turn away. And the call of God is not that we should share less of ourselves with each other, but simply that we should make sure we share our whole selves, our whole story, our glories and our frailties, so that God can shine, them, shine in them all. And that once we have learned to discover God, in the places we often filter out from our own story, then we may be a little bit more attentive to honor those whom the world overlooks, but who share with us the tiniest little picture of Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.